mass of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. Time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Over the past few days, the wall-to-wall televised fire, fury, and bedevilment that now passes for governing went well beyond the imagination of any successful Hollywood scriptwriter. Today's major newspapers are filled with stories, I believe. Um, this is probably the most divided nation Um, since the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861. How we got here is a long and complex story, too long and too complex to really go into today, but it's a moment we all should face soberly and recognize that um, the battle to come in November Um, will be the fiercest, most partisan, uh, most politically bloody in the memory of anyone in this listening audience. And so, again, my purpose is different from most talk radio folk. I want to inform you. I want to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. I know I'm not free of biases. I have them like everyone else. But I try to look for the facts in what we're arguing about and to use those facts to help you to make an independent judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers, and the numbers tell me what is out of the norm, what needs attention, where we can find some immediate triage, and then how to prioritize the necessary changes. And actually, the debacle, the circus, the so far bloodless civil war that we just fought over the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the United States Supreme Court is, in fact, um, a combination. We need, after this battle, some triage. We also need a long-term strategy for change. And that strategy lies, as we'll talk about soon, in the United States Constitution. It, it continues to amaze me that 237, I believe, years later, that document still is a prescription for how we can find unity and comedy in a changing nation. We just have to take a few minutes, stop yelling at one another, start listening to one another, and try to find uh, the, the, the 80% common core that 
unites us instead of focusing on the 20% that divides us. And so in the numbers this week, 50 to 48, the closest Senate confirmation vote for a Supreme Court nominee yet. Governor Jerry Brown vetoed two new pieces of legislation that would have expanded immigrant rights in California, a part of the California legislature's effort to continue to blur the line between citizenship and legal and illegal immigration. Six years late, yay, Congress finally, finally reauthorized the Federal Aviation Authority. But that bill falls far short of what is needed, and gratefully, our Congresswoman Anna Eshoo has taken the FAA and the bill to task. And last but not least, two major beams in the brand spanking new Transbay Terminal cracked wide open. Does this remind you of the Bay Bridge fiasco, the new Bay Bridge and all of the welding and, and beam support crack issues and rust and so forth. What's wrong at Caltrans? But we need to begin with the Kavanaugh confirmation. It was, to quote Senator Susan Collins and many others, quote, a political circus. It wasn't, it wasn't even a Ringling Brothers three-ring make-you-happy circus. It was just more like the Roman circus, like Maximus you know, with the gladiators, fight to the death. It was, again, quoting the senator, a misguided attempt to win whatever political crusade you think you are fighting. There are at least two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe even five potential presidential candidates of various degrees of seriousness on that Judiciary Committee. And we all know They play to the grandstands. They don't play to the front row. They play to the gallery. And what did we see over the last 30 days? We saw Judge Kavanaugh go from being what the American Bar Association reported as the most qualified candidate, a man of high integrity, a careful judge and mentor. 30 days later, he was uh, maybe a sexual predator. And when that didn't work a bumbling and belligerent alcoholic who threw some ice during someone else's bar fight while he was at Yale, a stumbling blacked-out drunk who could end up... How how did a stumbling blacked-out drunk end up first in his class at Yale College and also at Yale Law School and now is, after for many years, being a major luminary of the... Postgrad, you know, the law school graduates sitting on panels and, and doing all sorts of things for Yale College. He is now the bet noir, the black beast. So when all of that didn't work, then they tried to prove that in reviewing his college yearbook with him in front of the United States, the entire world population, that he was a perjurer. And when careful analysis disproved that, We went to the argument that he lacked judicial temperament because he didn't lie down in front of a full frontal assault on his character. I said it last week and I will say it again. I think in that hearing, Brett Kavanaugh went too far as a judge. Well, let's call a spade a spade. As someone who has had a career that involved political operations, I think 
Brett went a little too far. Now, if I were him, and this is something I actually do when I write a blog, is just let it rip. Write everything that you think in your head. Put it down on a yellow, you know, lined legal tablet. But then you got to set it aside for a little while and come back and read it and be just a bit more judicious. The, the thing about revenge for the Clintons was way over the top. And I think that he would agree in retrospect if you read his Wall Street Journal op-ed, again, a first for a candidate for the Supreme Court, that he too, that was a national apology. That was, that was a man who, in the cold light of morning, said, I think I went a little too far. Now, we could waste, as we're going toward our first commercial break, we could waste a lot of time refuting each of these claims. But instead, as we're going to break, the problem, let's, let's center for just a second on the central problem. The problem for Democrats, no nominee was going to get confirmed if they could help it because they recognized that a court with five conservative justices under the age of 55 would have many years to reshape the court and in some ways an ability to act as the saucer in the reshaping of the country. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little more about that. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And, and, you know, it bears repeating that the problem for the Democrats was that no nominee was going to get confirmed if they could help it because they recognized that a court with a five conservative justice majority under the age of 55 would have many years to reshape the court and in some ways the country. So there are many people on the left who want to run pell-mell, you know, in a hurry over the cliff of some kind of new social contract um, of 21st century borderless world with um, with limitless uh, government uh, hands, handouts, although none of them can explain to you how in heaven's name we would pay for that. Um, it, it is, um, it, 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 I could go further, but like I said, I write things down and then I scratch them out. But suffice it to say that the Democrats have a methodology that enrages a mob. Okay. suffice it to say that as I listened yesterday to the last of the individual senatorial statements, I was struck by the cynical Democratic ploy. And I've seen it repeated over and over and over again. And it's one of the reasons I do this show. It's about truth. It's about facts versus, you know, you're entitled, I believe, to your own conclusions, but not your own facts. Okay. And the Democrats, it's one of the things Nancy Pelosi's legacy will include, is the knowledge that if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes its own truth. So without a single bit of corroborating evidence, 49 Democrats over the last 
two days have repeated the words sexual offender when referring to Brett Kavanaugh over and over and over again. And they've accused the FBI of a whitewash in their argument against Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation of the Supreme Court. For the first time, while I believe the courts had political difficulty since the passage of Roe v. Wade, since the passage of Roe v. Wade, every single nominee, starting with Souter, by a Republican um, president, every single one of them, has started their confirmation fight with a Democratic screed that Roe v. Wade would be overturned and women would die. This is not unique to the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. This is a pattern now 40 years in the making. It just gets worse every single time. And they use different ploys every single time. And the funny part is how often they've been surprised and they're still using it. And you know what? Women of America, you're still falling for it. The right to a legal abortion in this country is now sacrosanct. I agree with Justice, Justice Ginsburg, who was part of the case, the Roe v. Wade case, but who in retrospect says it was wrongly decided because it was too broad and because the country wasn't ready. You need to bring the country. And that's one of the things the Supreme Court does. And that's one of the things that Brett Kavanaugh does better than most people. And that's to surgically scribe a law that's gone too far. That is what Roberts did when he found a way to make the Affordable Care Act constitutional using an argument drafted at the circuit court by Brett Kavanaugh that, in fact, the mandate was a tax. And that's why the only way to remove it was when Congress did it. Score one for the institutionalists and the constitutionalists. So I would like to leave Roe v. Wade as what it is, a super precedent, settled law, to quote George W. Bush, and move along to the more important issues of the day. I have to say I lost a lot of confidence in MSNBC this week. I, I kind of, you know, do channel surf. I, I watch some programs on Fox. I watch, you know, watch Brett Baer on Fox. I watch MSNBC. I watch ABC News. I'm, I, I try to get around because I want to see how different people are interpreting the same facts. Okay. But what I found was without a single bit of corroborating evidence, the mainstream media and much of the cable news world kept repeating that same phrase, regardless of what the FBI or the New York Times found, they kept calling Brett Kavanaugh a sexual offender. And yet, if you read, and I have it here, the, the summary, the executive summary of the um, FBI supplemental report, they found there was no, they interviewed um, Debbie Romero, so they interviewed one of the accusers. They took every bit of, um, of uh, Professor Ford's uh, sworn testimony. Um, they asked for the documents that she claimed she had, and they and her lawyers refused to give them to the FBI. So, with ha hamstrung on both sides because the 
The White House limited the scope of the investigation. They found not a single shred of corroboration. If somebody had driven Professor Ford home that night, by this time they would have made themselves known. Okay. Uh, And there were some other factual issues this week. A letter from um, a boyfriend of almost 10 years through the 1990s who uh, disputed her concerns about um, needing two doors um, and who uh, disputed her fear of flying, um, talking about propeller uh, airplane trips they had taken, small plane trips they had taken in the Hawaiian Airlines. Let me tell you, um, I don't think I'm a white nickel flyer. I'm a million miler. But those little planes, ooh, they scare the heck out of me. So um, <clears throat> in any case, there is no corroboration. But people like Mimi Roca and Daniel Goldman, who are both former prosecutors from the Southern District of New York and are members of the most prestigious legal think tanks in the country kept repeating that phrase on MSNBC because you get paid at MSNBC to spout the editorial whatever of the of the the editorial policy of the um, network. And that editorial policy is definitely driven um, by the left. And if you want to know more about editorial bias in the mainstream media. I wrote a piece about it right after the uh, 2016 election. Again, I watch multiple channels and I kind of, you know, I've kind of taken away from that, um, that there are some facts like editorial policy bias at the network level. Um, And if you look at the people who work at MSNBC, the people who work at MSNBC, you can, can you say hypocrite? Because a whole lot of them have the very same skeletons in their closets. So here's the, here is the, the bottom line. We don't know what did or did not happen to Professor Ford. But the lack of corroboration found by the FBI did nothing to cause anybody in the mainstream media to stop for one moment and consider whether or not the judge could be mistakenly accused. I find that, as a, as a user of media, reprehensible. Nicole Wallace, a longtime friend of the Kavanaugh's, did have a sort of sick look on her face when she spoke of the human carnage she had personally witnessed. Nothing quite so soul-searching came from Steve Schmidt, who similarly knows uh, Kavanaugh quite well and whose oratorical skills and conscience I admire. But in this case, he allowed his reflexive hatred of President Trump to overcome his reason. And so... Um, I will publish on the website the Supplemental FBI Investigation Executive Summary along with this podcast. But suffice it to say, the Supplemental Background Investigation confirms what the Senate Judiciary Committee concluded after its investigation. There is no corroboration of the allegations made by Dr. Ford or Ms. Ramirez. Now, either we believe the FBI is the country's premier law enforcement agency, or we don't.
And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the important part of the Kavanaugh confirmation. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And so we're through the the bloodletting for the moment. Let me say that again, for the moment. Over the next 30 days or so, because most of us will have cast our ballots within the next 30 days, we're going to hear a lot about impeachment, not just now of Trump, but impeaching Kavanaugh as well, which makes holding the United States Senate um, even more important. But it is also a point which all of us should take seriously that um, Democrats are not interested in ruling. They're interested in power. And if the only way to get power is the mob, they're going to use the mob. You know what the founding fathers feared the most? Three guesses. You don't, and the first two probably will not count. Most of the checks and balances created in how we elect our leaders were done for two purposes. The first one was to assure the small states that the big states were not going to swallow them and dominate them and destroy them. The more important purpose was to mitigate the threat of mob rule. And yet, when the Demo- what the Democrats have learned since the 2016 election is if all else fails, it's important to bus a mob that can roll down the halls of Congress and beat on the doors of the Supreme Court. I literally beat on the doors of the Supreme Court. So I don't know what you saw on television, but I saw hysteria. Do you want to know that yesterday, on Saturday, after the Kavanaugh confirmation, and, and you saw pictures of this on Twitter yesterday, so if you didn't use Twitter yesterday, you, you missed it. Uh, women went to hair salons and she had their heads shaved because Kavanaugh was confirmed. Now, I don't know what you call that. Could you say it's devoid of reason? Could you say these women are mad at the world? I can't believe they were all sexually assaulted in their youth. I, I, I grant you, all right, as a woman of a certain age who's been in a professional position since her early 20s, let me tell you, I could write a book about sexual harassment. But you know what you do when you're harassed? You overcome You have to be better. Yes, I'm going to say it. I've never said it before, but I am going to say it. You do have to be better, or you did when I was coming up, than the men you competed with. But that's the, the, the operative word. I competed. I understood when I was being harassed most of the time. And you just have to ignore it and keep moving. Now, I will say I was never assaulted. Or at least by my definition, I was never assaulted. But that was because I never put myself in. I was also a mom, all right? So I was a working parent. So I I didn't put myself in positions where I felt threatened. But 
all that said, I am sure, and I have heard stories since this thing began from women who I know really, really well, who have fessed up for the first time to things that happened to them. So it's, a, it, it's common, but it's not a reason for, um, for destroying, you know, the rest of your life or getting an arrest record unless you happen to be Amy Schumer, and she should have at least dressed for the part. And, you know, as I watched that riot day by day, hour by hour, I watched people screaming at members of the, of the House and Senate, the rolling down the halls, just screeching at the top of their lungs. Um, <clears throat> I kept thinking about Les Miserables. If you've, if you've ever seen the movie or the play and you see the big barricade in, in the, the second or and third act and you see this big barricade and you see the pop poli you know the 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 paris um underclass at the top of this barricade uh it actually does um it should remind you or it actually is a representation by victor hugo of something he saw in 1832 a riot in the streets of paris uh at a time when paris was undergoing um both uh, economic dislocation, a, a real recession, and people had lost their jobs, and there was a cholera outbreak, et cetera. And, and it really did. There really was a riot of this sort in 1832. And you know what the score was? 800 dead protesters. Nothing changed for the everyday, the living conditions of the everyday Parisian. Mobs may make you feel good, but they don't solve problems. Unfortunately, I was also reminded of what happened more recently in our own history on a baseball field in Virginia, within sight of the United States Capitol building in June 2017. I was in Washington, D.C. that day. When the first bulletins came through, I was standing in line at Starbucks getting a cup of coffee to drink while I walked um, up Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol for some meetings. And that was the day that Steve Scalise was shot and almost killed. And you think that can't happen again? I fear it might. And that shooting was the outcome of a whipped up political mob a year before. It is that shooting was the outcome of the politics of grievance. Let me say, I believe, and I believe there are many members of the United States Congress that agree with me, whether or not they belong to no labels. Um, reason and working for change within the system will have a longer impact than a riot. And I believe that everything that's happened in the last 30 days actually sets back the Me Too movement. It was callous. It was calculated. It was aimed at further dividing an already divided electorate. But just as the woman card didn't work for Hillary in 2016, it is unlikely that women will forget that about half of them, probably not too many of the half that were out there rioting in the Capitol love their fathers, 
sleep with their husbands and our mother's two sons. And they know that none of us are angels, but that few of the men in their lives are devils either. And those women would defend either their sons, their fathers, their husbands to the, to the extreme if they were similarly charged without corroboration. I know women who are dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. I mean, who will fight me tooth and nail. Um, I, and, and when they saw the judges' college years dredged up, um, they said, oh, my God. I know about what my son's done in college. <laughs> and with a pregnant pause, say later, oh, my God, there's Facebook. There are pictures. And at the hair salon this week, my informal poll was 70-30 in favor of Kavanaugh. The concept that when a woman says she's been assaulted, she must automatically and without any proof be believed will have a chill effect on the relationship between the sexes. That's an unintended consequence of the feminist movement now for half a century. And if you go to Reimagine America and do a search on Me Too, You'll find lots of more information on this topic, including a couple of podcasts of earlier shows in which we have talked about the Me Too movement and harassment. I believe a lot of women have been harassed. I believe a lot of women have been assaulted and failed to come forward. I think a woman who is assaulted needs redress and she needs it immediately. But we also must recognize that she's got to have some corroboration. I'm not saying even proof beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm saying some corroboration. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about why why ultimately all of this really matters. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And I think now that I've now that I've allowed myself to rant about um, the craziness of current politics uh, in which reason plays no part, let's take a moment to reimagine America. And that's what's the most important thing about the Kavanaugh assent to the Supreme Court. A five to four conservative majority. A five to four conservative majority does not mean um, reactionary. But there are consequences to a five to four majority. The first one being the wake of how we got there. This has been the culmination of a Republican strategy that dates back to the Reagan years. And that, but, but, and, and in the, in the intervening 40 years or so, you know, the country has been very lucky that despite these increasingly acrimonious um, nomination and confirmation processes, We've gotten the best and the brightest to step up. But after this moment at which 
so many of us who follow politics, and I'm sure many of you who tune in once in a while to it, want this to be a watershed moment in the sense that we have finally hit bottom. That we will take a step back and say, oh my God, what are we doing in the politics of personal destruction? Because there's a consequence. And the consequence is that it will be more difficult to get the best and the brightest to step up, to get into the arena when the next vacancy on the court occurs. And I say that whether or not that person is nominated by President Trump or a subsequent Republican or Democratic president. And, and just for the facts make a difference, on the Circuit Court of Appeals, Merrick Garland, who was not in any way blemished and who I believe will eventually make become an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, but Merrick Garland and Brett Kavanaugh vote the same way on decisions 90% of the time. And Brett Kavanaugh's written opinions have been supported by, in, in those cases when they've both voted on, on a matter, have been supported by Merritt Garland 96% of the time. He wrote one dissent from a majority opinion that was written by Kavanaugh in the 12 years they've served together at the circuit court level. We have the best and the brightest. And I think Garland will get there. But he may not want to after all of this. But ultimately, we've got two things in front of us. One of them is Brett Kavanaugh. John Meacham said it best, character is destiny. <clears throat> and the question will be for this court, can Justice Kavanaugh put all of this behind him because if he can, it will make him a more empathetic and a better justice for the next 40 years. You and I will can only wait to see what happens. But here's what the, what, what the achievement of a 5-4 to four conservative majority means. It means a Supreme Court that will, in fact, behave the way the Founding Fathers saw it behave. That is, it will be an umpire more... And a game strategist less, to use football parlance on a Sunday morning. <clears throat> Conservative justices aren't reactionary. We, they don't want to turn back the clock, but they are institutionalists. Umpires say, if you want to do this, if you want the law to accomplish a certain purpose, then Congress or the states, or both of you need to write and pass laws that do A or B or C in order to achieve your goal. And the finding the um, individual mandate to be a tax, as Robert did, Roberts did, was um, a very good example of retaining the law and putting a focus on the part of it which had questioned, you know, which in which you had to establish a constitutional basis. Liberals, on the other high, on the other hand, are called living constitutionalists, and they say, "Well, the times have changed, and so we're going to decide to change the meaning of a constitutional 
provision, okay, absent any change in the Constitution through the amendment process or, in fact, the legislative process. We're going to create this new interpretation, and that precedent, of course, has consequences. And Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade is a perfect example. It wouldn't be the litmus test, test that it is for a Supreme Court nominee, a necessary precedent about in front of which you have to bow down, if instead of divining a right to privacy, not written in the Constitution, that the court would have said, Congress, you need to write a right of privacy into the Constitution. Now, that would have been way too easy. Now, it would have taken years, as has the equal, you know, the women's equal rights movement uh, through the amendment process. But federal legislation would have done much of what um, Roe v. Wade accomplished, which was to make um, abortion safe and legal in all of the 50 states. But Roe v. Wade, very quickly after it was passed, became um, a convenient tool for the Democrats, to man the barricades in every Supreme Court fight, every single one, since Justice Souter was nominated by George H.W. Bush nearly 30 years ago. So what does the new Roberts Court of Five need to do? What do they need to do to gain your confidence and mine? What do they need to do to help prevent this republic from further dividing itself? They got to listen to Ben Sass. His commentary a few weeks ago really did put the spotlight right back on it. Congress, Congress needs to conduct meaningful investigations of all the issues in front of it and pass laws that benefit you and I. And maybe the place to begin, rather than one of the social issues they so like to use in election seasons that never end anymore, Maybe the place I'd like to begin is dealing with a $1 trillion debt, a deficit this year in the budget. In other words, 25% of the United States federal budget for the coming fiscal year has to be borrowed. Do you think maybe the 535 folks we elect in November ought to settle down, put aside their partisan bickering, and figure out how to balance the United States budget over the next 30 years or so so that our children do not inherit half a country. Unfortunately, I'm not an optimist that we will soon see that kind of comedy or reflect, reflection in the Congress because what are the two issues that are going to come screaming at the Supreme Court this year? Healthcare and immigration. Those are not issues that will be um, easily settled. We will see a conservative court try to narrow to the greatest extent possible their rulings and to force those decisions back to where they belong in the Congress of the United States. The Supreme Court is there to make sure what Congress does is constitutional. It is not there to be a super legislature to do the work that Congress fails to do. And that's what the definition of a conservative court is. 
that it's an umpire. It's not a super legislature. And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of closing thoughts. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with just a couple of closing thoughts. So, you know, this is going to surprise you after this screed. I'm going to miss Jerry Brown. You know, Jerry Brown is the most rational and conservative politician in Sacramento. Now, that should scare you truly. But he has acted over the last eight years as a break on his ultra-leftist anarchistic legislature. And so this week, he vetoed two bills, or last week, actually, he vetoed two bills aimed at helping immigration uh, illegal immigrants more than giving them driver's licenses, um, no auto impound, professional licenses that they can get now, in-state tuition, medical care, uh, de- deportation shield, and legal aid. To that, they wanted to add the legislature, allowing um, all uh, illegal and legal alien non-citizens to serve on local county and state boards and commissions. And the governor said, no, that goes too far. You need to be a citizen to serve on a local or state board or commission. And second, uh, would have barred ICE from entering courthouses and jails. And there he felt like we would really be running afoul of the United States Constitution. But I give you fair warning that both of those bills would get signed by Gavin Newsom in a heartbeat. And that would be the first step toward the end of legitimate boards, legal immigration, and representative democracy, or in a sentence... Venezuela, here we come. We have to have meaningful bipartisan immigration reform. That's, that's national. And California must decide if it wants to be a part of the United States or the Republic of California. And if you want to know more about that, go to reimagineamerica.org um, and do a search on California, and you'll find some information about that subject. For one moment, let's just take a quick peek at the Trans Bay Terminal because it's illustrative. The fact it was open for a few weeks, it looks beautiful, and it may fall down on Fremont Street. It's just another instance of what the heck is wrong at Caltrans and why doesn't the legislature stop and and ask the logical questions that that you should ask about design process or other things. Why doesn't the state legislature look into we need to reform Caltrans? And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But as I leave you, um, make sure you check out the new Reimagine America website. I've been playing around with my thought of the day. Um... Sometimes it's something I might say on Twitter, but sometimes um, it's something I might say um, just to you and me. Um, You can also find those thoughts on Facebook. If you've got questions or topics that you want to get asked or answered on the air, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. 
I try to respond to as many listener comments as possible. In addition to reimagineamerica.org, you can find me at reimagine-america on Facebook, at Joyce Cordy on Twitter, or on the re- at the Reimagine uh, America Radio Hour, also on Twitter. And the podcast is posted to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on Mondays. Reimagine America is independent, and oh God, is it nonprofit. If you appreciate an independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.